0: Good morning, fellowship. That was weak at best. Good morning, (laughs) fellowship. Hey, let's stand together. And as we enter into worship this morning, I want to read from Psalm 100. Uh, Hear the word of the Lord. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. That includes us, I think. All the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Are you ready? Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. That's good news. We are are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Enter his gates with thanksgiving this morning. That's the call. And so I, I know it's hard to just flip that switch sometimes. Okay, all okay, I'm, I'm thankful. You know, it doesn't work that way. So I want to give you, I want to give you one minute, 60 seconds. I want you to just close your eyes. I want you to just Become present to God, like mindful of his presence. Maybe is a better way to say it. Become mindful of God's presence and then just name a few things that you're thankful for in your mind, in your heart to God. What are you thankful for? Is it a relationship? Is it a, is it a provision? Is it even his presence, uh, his comforting presence through a season of grief? Whatever it is, 60 seconds, go. Go.
1: I've always been amazed at the level of talent God brings to fellowship. Don't they do a great job? Mm. In light of this crazy world that we live in, we go to the scriptures for hope. Psalm 46. Listen to what we find there. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in a time of trouble. Amen. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So the writer says, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So we rest in that regardless of what comes our way. That our God is in control. He's got it, right? He's got it. So don't worry about it. Just serve Him, worship Him, walk with Him. That's what we've got to do. Welcome to all of you. It's great to have you worshiping with us in fellowship this morning and in light of what we've just sung and what we've just read. We have come into this place this morning, whether online to all of you who are watching live stream or for those of you in this room, we have come to worship the one who holds us in the palm of his hand. So don't miss the opportunity to worship and learn about him. We want you to get connected and we have... Uh, a way for you to do that there with a the little you scan that uh, whatever that QR code is right there is that what this call Seth? yeah QR code uh, and you can see there are lots of ways to get connected um, and let us know that you were here but also get involved in a group how can you expect to be connected if you don't get connected You got to just do more than show up in this room once a week. Find a small group to be a part of. Since our beginning, the elders determined that the most healthy form of ministry for us was celebrating together on the weekend and then coming together in small groups during the week. And so if you're not a part of a small group... Jump in one, okay? They have them on the screen there. There's Discover Fellowship that begins February the 13th. If you've not gone through Discover, great opportunity to get in a small group there. Merge, premarital, February the 20th. Reengage every day, Sundays at 4.30 p.m. And also out in our four-year, our community leaders out there can help you get connected to a small group. So encourage you to do so. Don't take a vacation from being a part of a small group. It's too important to your well-being. Don't get separated from the herd. Family worship is taking place right now at 11 thir- at 9.30, but there will also be a family worship service in the family center at 11. And so if you want to grab your kiddos after this service and then you all go worship together in family worship, it's always a neat opportunity and uh, encourage you to do that. I want to finish my time here by thanking you for your generosity. Uh, you know, last year we didn't quite meet our budget. We came really close, but we didn't quite do that. But with COVID and all that, we understood. This year, you have absolutely blown us away through your generosity, through the gift and through year in giving, which allows us to do a lot of ministry. All right? Yesterday, our elders, uh, uh, or yesterday and the day before, we met on our retreat and they have determined how all the uh, monies you donated to the gift will be distributed. And we're really excited about that because it's going to make a difference in ministries locally, regionally, and globally. In hard places where people are working and their lives are threatened every day, we're able to encourage them and make a difference through your generosity. And so thank you so much. Today, we begin a study in the book of Ruth. If you've never studied Ruth, it's an incredible book, a literary masterpiece. Seth, you all have written a song about this, and so get us headed in that direction, okay?
0: Okay. Thank you, Mickey. Yeah, worship leaders um, across all the congregations of fellowship have made it a point to look out at where we're going and Just ask the Spirit, are there any things that we want to sing together that that we want to write for our body to sing together for this series that kind of hold together those themes of the the series? And so uh, a few of our writers and worship leaders down in Fayetteville wrote this song that I'm going to introduce this morning. We'll sing it throughout this short little series on Ruth. Um, But before we do, I want to show you kind of what kind of song. So, Psalm 136. Um, Let's just see if you just naturally do it. Let's try this. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Oh, man, you guys already got it. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. Now, there's 23 more verses that go exactly like that in that psalm. We're not going to hit all of them right now. But I... I show you that song because oh, the song that was written is kind of in the same vein. So you're gonna you're gonna hear what the the rest of the team sings, and I want you to sing with them. You're gonna pick it up real quick, and uh, it doesn't really the song doesn't work unless you sing. Okay, it it just doesn't work. <laughs> so you have to participate. Now some of you are like, okay, okay yes, now's my time to shine. and Others are like it's time for another cup of coffee. Um, Don't go. Stay and participate. Uh, It will encourage those around you. So uh, let's teach you this song. It's all about the faithfulness of
2: Holy up the You have no ways will you have no ways will Okay here we go. You, you give hope, you have no ways will you redeem. You change hearts, you have and always will, you breathe love.
0: Loneliness, you you come come to me again. You
2: haven't always well. In my brokenness, your kindness drew me in. You You haven't always always well. Yes, you haven't always. Life, you haven't always. Well. You haven't always will. Remind my soul, you are. my soul with every word you say you have no ways come on let's
0: stand together and sing it
2: you have your change
0: Sustains what you begin. It has and always will. Yes, your faithfulness keeps us in Your hands. Come on, sing it out. It has.
3: great love we are not consumed for his compassions never fail they are new every morning great is your faithfulness I say to myself the Lord is my portion therefore I will wait for him
0: your faithfulness. God, we just acknowledge your presence has never left us. We've always been here with us. God, would you make us more aware of that? Your faithful presence with us day to day, moment by moment, season to season. God, I pray that you would just make your word uh, alive in our hearts this morning as Mark brings it. Um, God, that seeds would be planted, that they would bear fruit in our lives. For your glory and for our good, we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.
4: Amen. And aren't you grateful for servants who lead us? Yeah, so good. And Seth, I still detected a little hint of James Taylor on that new song in the guitar opening and greatly appreciated it as well. Good morning. Hey, last week, uh, Nick Rowland wrapped up our series uh, in the book of Jonah. And uh, my wife and I were sitting in the 11 o'clock service, and we were sitting kind of way back there in this corner over here. And Nick opened up the message and and he said, Everyone has a picture of God. Even the atheist has a picture of the God he doesn't believe in. And then he said, So I have a question for you. And he asked this rhetorical question. Where did our idea from God of God come from? Now you and I know in adult world, rhetorical questions, you just leave it with a pregnant pause. Not for children. Because back in the corner there, the sweetest little high-pitched voice spoke up next. Well, from God, of course. And I thought, yeah, Isaiah 11, still true. A little child will lead them because she was exactly right. We get our idea of God from God. He tells us what he's like. And most often, he tells us what he's like through the way he works in our lives so through circumstances but most clearly and consistently we see what God is like through his word and so we continue to open up his word and our style here at fellowship bible church is to walk through his word page by page and hoping that God will walk through our lives page by page and day by day and so we finished the book of Jonah last week and today we start the book of Ruth now in Jonah We saw God's redemption to a people group first, and then He applied that to a person, Jonah. In the book of Ruth, that that script's gonna get flipped. He's gonna start with redemption to an individual person first, and then magnify that out all the way to a people group called the human race. In Jonah, we saw God actually work on, on a large scale first, and then apply that work to an individual's life. But in Ruth, He's gonna start at the individual life and take it up to the large scale, all of humanity. What does that tell you about our God right there? He works at the big and the small scale. You and I fit somewhere in that. And so today we get a chance to open up Ruth's and see what the story is about. Ruth is a short story, a novella, if you will. It's written in a feminine voice. In fact, we only have 85 verses in four chapters. The book of Ruth begins with this opening line. Now, it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. Eugene Peterson translates it this way in his version called The Message. Once upon a time, it was back in the days when the judges led Israel, there was a famine in the land. And what we see here is a traditional story arc that all stories tend to follow. I mean, all stories, not just Bible stories. So if you watch Disney's Encanto, if you watch the new Spider-Man, you saw this story arc happen. We saw a familiar pattern where a situation launches and it begins to rise in tension and climax And then that resolves to a a new normal. Well, the book of Ruth is no exception. The story arc will be in front of us. So if you happen to love good stories filled with the adventure of relationship and the relationship of adventure, you're going to like the next four weeks. It comes to us in four chapters, which happen to break down into four episodes, like a four-part miniseries. And in this four-part mini-series, we see that this mini-series fits again even against a big backdrop of a story. Because it tells us that it came about in the days when the judges led Israel. Okay, so this story in Ruth is about a big story with Israel. Now, if you've been to Panorama of the Bible, which is our class trying to help us understand the big picture story of the Bible, that the Bible's not a collection of little stories. It's a big story, including little stories. You know that the Old Testament has a timeline of nine movements. The time of the judges fits right smack in the middle of those nine movements, and it's labeled here apostasy. Apostasy because it was a time of Israel's continual cycles of sin and rebellion from God. In fact, if you're holding a paper English Bible in your lap this morning, you know that if you turn one verse back from Ruth 1.1, you find the last verse of the Judges. Judges 21.25, and it says, It was a time when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now, in a chronology timeline, it's about 1100 B.C. It's the end of the Bronze Age and the beginning of the Iron Age. In a spiritual timeline for Israel, this is the Dark Age. This is the time of Israel's civil unrest, clan warfare, attacks from other nations, uh, political chaos, and widespread poverty. The poverty launched in this case in the book of Ruth by famine. Let's look at Ruth 1 and 2 together. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. So a famine was even in Bethlehem. That's ironic because the word Bethlehem means house of bread. It's a fertile land, but at this time the house of bread was bare and a man has to feed his family. So the family immigrates to Moab, a neighboring heathen nation about 50 miles to the southeast. Uh, Moab was a place that Psalm 108 called a washbowl, by the way, not a compliment. The Israelites despised Moab because they knew it was a place with a despised beginning. Moabites were the products of incest in their history. They worshiped the god Kamesh, a pagan god who had cruel uh, cultic rites, including the sacrifice of children. In Judges chapter three, Moab conquered Israel for 13 years. Men and women, it means simply this. No good Jew would choose Moab as a place to live unless they were desperate. And so Elimelech and Naomi, they seek out hope in a different place. The father's name is Elimelech. It means my God is king. The mother's name is Naomi. Naomi. And it means pleasant. Now listen, back in ancient times, you named your children significantly. They either mark significant events in your life or significant events in the world. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say, I think Naomi and Elimelech were born during good times in Israel. They meet and marry and they have two boys. And they name those boys Malon and Kilion. Malon means sickly. Kilion means Failing. Or Puny. These are hard times. The famine has taken its toll on this family. So my God is king and pleasant, decide to take sickly and and puny and move from the house of bread to the washbowl. Because they're desperate. And they're out of any options to the left and to the right. And so they move to the southeast. Tim Keller tweeted this once. Pastor Tim Keller said, human beings are hope-shaped creatures. How you live today is completely shaped by what you believe about your future. And that's true in both good times and in bad times. Verse one says that Elimelech and Naomi intended to stay just for a short amount of time. You know, enough to go up to Moab, get some food and weather the famine, and then let's get back to Bethlehem where we belong But life has a way of throwing really hard curveballs at you. Look at verse 3. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kileon died. And Naomi was left without her two sons, and her husband. There's an iPhone commercial that's been running lately during the NFL playoffs. And my hunches will be running again today during the Chiefs game later. And it reminds us that in movie making, you always keep the main character in a scene in clear view and you blur the supporting cast out in the background. Well, that's what we see happening here. Now, folks, we know that this book is titled Ruth. But we see who's in the main scene in clear view, who's the main character, and that's Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi. Ruth's still in the story, but she's blurred to the background because she is supporting cast. And Naomi is the main character. Her story of tragedy is what we're supposed to focus on. And I've gotta tell you, I cannot imagine her pain. In fact, if I really try in my best level of empathy to put myself in her shoes, it horrifies me to think that this woman has lived for 10 years with the grief of not having her husband in a foreign place where she lives as a refugee. And now to undergo the loss of both sons, I cannot fathom the sense of aloneness she feels. And look at verse six the response. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Now verse 8. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown me kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And Before we move on in the story, can you lock in on an absolutely critical word? It's the word kindness. Naomi uses it, and it's an important word in the book of Ruth. In fact, it's going to come up in every chapter of these four chapters. And in the fourth chapter, it's going to be displayed in front of us in technicolor. But it's also an important word, even in the Old Testament story as a whole. It's the word hesed in Greek, H-E-S-E-D, hesed. It's so important that the Holy Spirit wants us to never lose sight of it, so he repeats it 247 times in the Old Testament. Most often it tells us about the heart of God towards his people. It's a re- rich, deep, full, complex word to describe what God thinks and feels about when he thinks and feels about you. It's a word that describes his love. In fact, once you see said, you'll start noticing it everywhere in the Old Testament. And when you see it, you think and know of a love that is both strong, it's really tough, and amazingly more tender than you can imagine all at the same time. You think of a love that is gritty and kind at the same time. It's the kind of love that God has that you cannot use up and you cannot wear out. it lasts even through a famine and through loss and grief. In our English Bibles, if you're reading a New American Standard, it comes across as the word loving kindness. Or if you use the updated New American Standard, it's translated mercy. It's a kindness in the NIV that we're looking at this morning. It's a steadfast love in the first version of the NIV. That's probably my favorite one. If you read the New English translations, it's loyal love. If you read the old school King James, it's a great translation. It's faithful love. Whenever you see said, you're looking at a covenant word, a word of promised relationship from God to you. In fact, I actually think this word is a one word summary of God's heart. His heart of grace and mercy, faithfulness and loyalty and kindness and love and goodness. I know I've joked about this before. I could never get a tattoo because I don't like needles. But if I ever did, the only tattoo I would get would be the word said" right over my heart. I just think I've missed my window because now every year that tattoo would sink lower and lower and lower <laughs> and lower. And I already have a problem with too much said" over my stomach anyway. Now this is a gritty, tender word and Naomi is not afraid to use it even as she's grieving. But... She only uses it of her daughters-in-law. She will not use it of God for she has suffered too much to speak of him that way. Look at the next line. Then Naomi kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, no, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then you gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you. Why? because the Lord, Yahweh's hand, has turned against me. Ouch. In the ancient Near East, to be a woman with no husband meant you were a woman with no security. And Naomi loves her daughter-in-laws like they're their, her own girls. So she urges them to go back home to Moab and find security and remarry. Because she says out of her own mouth, I have no hope. She's not afraid afraid to label exactly who's responsible for her hopelessness. And she says, because the Lord's hand is against me. Verse 14. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. separates you and me and when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her she stopped urging her some of you have Ruth's words spoken in your wedding ceremony or maybe even the verse etched in your wedding bands it's a pledge of devotion but notice that the heart of that pledge is the most important line it's that line that says your God will be my God In other words, I think we see the language of a converted, a changed heart, a changed life, we sometimes say at fellowship, right on the pages of scriptures here. She no longer wants the gods of Moab. Once you tasted the real thing, don't urge me to go back, she says. Your God will be my God. I am turning only to the one true God, the God of Israel, Yahweh. This change in Ruth will bring later, spoiler alert, monstrously wonderful changes for Naomi. But Naomi cannot see that right now. All she can see is the absence of hope, not the presence of Ruth. And so Naomi returns to Bethlehem and she's anything but pleasant. Look at verse 19. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me pleasant, Naomi said. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me? Pleasant. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Naomi wants a change of name. I think she might be a woman of integrity. Integrity means wholeness. She's so bitter on the outside, she wants her label on the inside that she wants her label on the outside to match. Change my name to Mara. It means bitter because that's all I feel right now. Now remember Tim Keller's words from that tweet. We are hope-shaped creatures as people. We're hope-shaped creatures. What we believe about tomorrow shapes how we live today. Naomi is bitter today because she believes she has no hope for tomorrow. And it's clear who Naomi is bitter with. She labels him four times. Yahweh, the Lord. El Shaddai, the Almighty. I want you to notice Naomi's picture of God. Where does she get her picture of God? See, She has a picture of God. She doesn't say I'm an atheist. Uh Uh-uh. She names him by name. No, Naomi still believes that God is strong. And sovereign. He is the Almighty, she believes. But she just does not believe he's good and gracious. In other words, she cannot see his said. She sees his power over her loss and her grief. She just can't see his loving kindness in and through it. And I'm not going to blame her. Are you? Because her losses terrify me. And I'm not going to judge her because at a human level alone, that makes sense. But there is something I need to learn from her, and so do you, because all of us, we're not getting off this planet without enduring loss and grief. And there's something about her response that we can learn from, and that is that grief clouds our vision. When you're going through loss and grief, you can't see God and life very clearly. And sometimes you confuse God with life and life with God. So Naomi's two statements about God come from verse 20 and 21, and I'll just paraphrase them. She says, life is hard, so therefore God must be hard. Life is bitter, so therefore God must be bitter. And in the middle of loss and grief, folks, it is so tempting for us to Interpret who God is through the lenses of our life rather than interpret what life is about through the lenses of God. You know that's a subtle distinction, right? One is to see my life through God's eyes. The other one is to see God through my life's eyes. And so if life is bitter, he must be so as well. Uh, Through a seven-year season, of loss and grief that we walked through, I can tell you the temptation to reimagine and reinvent and reinterpret God according to life's circumstances is there. And it's a fight to hold on to the God who really is, to the God who tells us what he's like, and see it by faith until it becomes our reality. And through that seven-year period... Uh, I just wanted to learn more about, I'll just call it a a, a better theology of suffering because I believe the Western church and the American church chief among us has about as bad a theology of suffering as you can develop. And I was looking to do what I could to get a better, clearer picture of life and God from God's eyes, not mine. And so in my own probably personality and wiring, but maybe semi dysfunction. I read everything I could get my hands on. I don't know, through that seven years, maybe 24, 30 books. Two of the ones that came out to the high point for me. One of them is one that I keep about six to 12 copies of all the time. It's called A Grace Disguised. The subtitle is How a Soul Grows Through Loss. Written by a man who walked Naomi's shoes and the loss of spouse and children. Still my favorite. I keep extra copies because when I have people I care about who go through loss, I will sometimes send it to them. Now, if you're going through that, don't, don't be afraid. I won't send it right away because there's nothing more annoying than a book when you're hurting. You just wanna throw it back at them. No, maybe a year later, sometimes a couple of years later to just say, this helped me, maybe you too. Another one I read a couple of years ago won the Christianity Today Book of the Year Award and it deserved it. It It's called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy by Mark Vogrop. I stole the title for his book for this sermon because there is a deep mercy in the dark clouds. Listen, if you're walking through grief right now, maybe you lost a loved one during COVID. I've been to too many funerals this fall and winter. Maybe you have a friend who's gone through loss. Maybe you walk through a bitter divorce. A dream has died in front of you and you don't know how you could live without the hope of that dream. Maybe you fight day in and day out among difficult news that keeps coming like small waves. Maybe you have a prodigal child who just has not returned and doesn't seem like they will. Your temptation is to reinterpret God through the lenses of your life And God has a better story for you. He wants you to help interpret this life through the lenses of his truth. So would you reach out for perspective because if your vision is clouded, you might be normal. But you should beware. Reach out to someone in your community group and ask them to pray for you regularly and share your story with them. Reach out to our care and counseling service, our center. I think it's one of the best gifts and services we have on this property to our community. Maybe even use a couple of resources like this one to find that perspective you need. Because we aren't that different than Naomi, men and women. So let's don't look down on her. A dark cloud of bitterness clouds our ability to see. Here's what I notice. Naomi could not see all that she still had because of all that she really lost. So she says a a statement to her friends in Bethlehem that isn't true. She says, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter because I left full and I'm coming back 10 years later empty. Is that true? I know it's how she feels, but is it true? No, she didn't leave full. They were starving so badly they went to a place no one would choose to escape to. Was she coming home to Bethlehem empty? No. She didn't have her two boys and her husband. But she wasn't empty. She had a daughter-in-law who loved her like she was her own mom. She did have something. And God was working through that something. Despair distorts our view of life, so we have got to be careful. We start to view yesterday through rose-colored glasses and only see our today and tomorrow through dark sunglasses, and we start to trust our own vision rather than the clarity of God's word, and the result is bitterness, and when you get bitter, then bitter distorts your view of God. How about you? Are you walking through loss right now? Maybe not. We're a large body. We have lots of different kinds of stories but I hunch you know and love someone who's walking through loss. And so for you, you will have to choose to cling by faith to all that God is, and he is both strong and sovereign and good and gracious. You must choose to see his said in the middle of life circumstances. You know, during that seven year season of loss for our family, uh, There was nothing better that I read. Honestly, I don't say this to be uber spiritual because I think I was more uber a mess. Um, God's word became a lifeline, a pipeline of truth that fed a heart that needed it desperately. Psalm 62 was a gift. Psalm 62 was written by David who was going through horrific circumstances. And he closes... The line in Psalm 62 with verse 11 and 12. David says, One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong, and that you, O Lord, are loving, has said. In the middle of David's grief, both of those two points were the twin anchor that kept him grounded. I see God is strong enough in this and I see God is still good enough in this. I will hold and be held by that. And before we finish Ruth's story, I feel like we gotta pause because maybe you've walked or will walk through a season of loss or love someone who has Could you take time to meditate on these two truths about who God is and anchor in them or bring up someone who's walking through loss and pray for them this morning? Take some time to be quiet before God and meditate. One thing God has spoken. Two things have I heard. That you, O oh God, are strong, and that you, O oh Lord, are loving. Lord, we hold on to these by faith. This is who you are. Anchor us in those truths. Amen. Chapter one, this first episode hasn't ended yet. There's one more verse. It ends by talking about a future that Naomi can't even see yet. It says, now Naomi in return from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, to the, Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. You notice how this story ends already by foreshadowing a new beginning. In literature, we call it foreshadowing. In the Netflix, Netflix series you love, you call it a cliffhanger. It's designed to make you binge the next episode till you stayed up too late. The Holy Spirit put this in there to make you binge the next episode and go to chapter two. Can I give you a spoiler alert? Just a little one. Verse twenty-two talks about a place and a barley harvest. And then it'll tell us about a people who were working in that barley harvest. And Naomi can't see it, but that place and that people are going to come together to break her cycle of hopelessness. We still have that today. God uses places and people to break our cycles of hopelessness. And probably my favorite in our area is the one that we're going to talk about in this video coming up. Take a look at the screen.
3: In our community, there's a lot of pain. We're seeing working single mothers living out of their cars, desperate to provide for the basic necessities of life. Children who don't know where their next meal is coming from and whole neighborhoods struggling to get through the day. The world we live in is far from perfect, but that's why we've been called to love. Now is the time to rally together and create lasting change for those living in poverty in Northwest Arkansas. The Samaritan Community Center gives whole families the tools and help they need to go from just surviving to actually thriving. What people don't know is Samaritan was established by a community group from Fellowship Bible Church in 1989. By 2002, the center had become a standalone nonprofit with a mission to serve the hurting and hungry. Fellowship gifted Samaritan their current Rogers Center in 2003. As the need in Northwest Arkansas has grown, so have the programs that are designed to lift people out of poverty, hunger, and pain. Today, there simply isn't enough room to keep expanding and meet the distress our neighbors are facing. We believe the timing is right, and the Lord has called us to invest even further in our community. Now is the moment to give and provide a sustainable future for this amazing organization. So here's the plan. Samaritan Community Center is going back to its roots. Fellowship has provided the land and we want to help them build a 40,000 square foot facility that will serve Northwest Arkansas for generations to come. This new facility is designed to address unmet needs in the community, including expanded dental, counseling, and case management services. Collaborative space for community partners will provide ease and efficiency for clients to have their needs met under one roof. The new farm will give families access to healthy foods while providing Samaritan with sustainable income. Let's reflect the love our Father shows us and give in the spirit. Together, we are building to thrive.
4: Executive Director of the Samaritan Community Center. She and Samaritan Community Center, who some of us affectionately refer to as Sammy, Have been good friends, not just to us, but to our town and to our community. And so we're grateful. I do believe, Debbie, that God has used Samaritan Community Center to be a place and a people coming side by side to break the cycle of hopelessness for tons of Naomi stories that are everywhere in our neighbors around the area. And so thank you for being with us and joining us. And I know that you have been like crazy working hard on the new facility and the new property that'll be raking ground. And I got to ask you on the front end, some might look at you and say, hey, we're in a pandemic. Is it, why build now?
5: That is a really good question. Um, and a lot of people have asked that. Uh, I think there's three or four things that have really happened that have really um, impressed us that this is the time. And one of those is the number of people we've served. Uh, we've seen 150 to 200% increases in the number of families we've served during the pandemic. But it's not just those that live in poverty, but it's those that are, you would call the working poor, those that are above the poverty limit, but they've hit hard times because of COVID. And and so to be able to walk alongside them, we just don't have the space to be able to serve people the way we need to. Um, I think the other thing is um, we have a a great opportunity to step into some uh, new programs um, that otherwise we wouldn't be able to do because we don't have the space. And then last but not least, um, I think we're financially strong enough to be able to push through a capital campaign, and excitingly so, we have a $5 million gift that has been given yeah. that is a dollar-for-dollar dollar match for other people who make a gift. So it just seems like now is the time.
4: Yeah, and, and you not have only touched more people, but you've touched more people with more programs and services. I mean, it is it is much larger than most people know when they drive by your facility on Hudson Road right now. So how will the new facility being right kind of next door to us here across the parking lot, how will that help do the the expanse and the reach?
5: Well, there's a couple of things really exciting. One is we're gonna be able to expand those programs that are of greatest need in the community right now, not just for the poor, but for the working poor. Mm -hmm. And um, those programs include dental and counseling services. Those have really risen to the top during the COVID uh, pandemic as areas that, that there are not enough service providers out there. And so we're gonna step into that gap. Um, And then the second thing is our collaborative care center, which is my personal favorite um, about the new building. And what that's going to be is a space that is set up where multiple providers throughout Northwest Arkansas will actually office in our building And um, that way, when a client comes in, they'll not only be able to access the services and resources we have and visit with one of our social workers, but there'll be five to six other programs there at any given time um, on a rotating basis so they can access multiple services. Because right now, those families have to take off work and go to five or six different places thus they lose income. It's very self-defeating. And so this is gonna be a kind of a one-stop shop per se, and that will allow them um, to really move the needle forward in their life.
4: Yeah, that's huge. I love that vision of partnership with other organizations. I think that's actually probably why Fellowship, Mickey, has been so deeply bought into Samaritan Community Center because we see our partnership with them being that kind of extension of ministry through us.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Since 1989, as the video said, it's been a dream of mine uh, since we were given access to this property, uh, 33 acres uh, to our east. Uh, it stretches all the way from Laurel all the way to Pleasant Grove Road. And uh, on that northern end of it, there's a perfect spot there. And it was my dream that we would have some sort of life circle or something that helped the, the needs of those in our area. And took a while for me to get Debbie on board there. Uh, with that because she just didn't know how in the world we would come up with the money and all that. But they, they were growing. They continue to grow today. They serve the needs of thousands of people, literally every week. And Northwest Arkansas is growing, and so that need will only be greater. And so now it is finally coming about. And I wish, you know, back in 1989, that that little group that, that had this passion, to address poverty in northwest Arkansas. They invited me after one of our services at Oakdale Junior High, back when we were meeting there. Uh, they invited us to come to this little storage unit that they had set up, and they had clothing there. They had all sorts of things where people could come and have their needs met. And I know Debbie knows them too. I would love to have the opportunity today to take Clyde Parker through the Samaritan Community Center, what it's become now, and let him see all the things that were born of that dream. You know, Jesus told the Pharisees, uh, your purity on the inside will be determined by what you do on the outside. And then he told them, it's, it's what you do to help the poor. And we all are concerned about poverty, regardless of our giving here. You wonder why, you know, we're raising money for Fellowship Bentonville and and different initiatives. And and I tell our staff, this is not competing dollars because we want to help the poor, regardless of our responsibility of giving to God here at Fellowship. We want to make sure the needs of the poor are met. Samaritan Community Center is low-hanging fruit for us. We wonder when we're going to give to organizations, if that money's really gonna be used for that purpose. We know this group. We are on their board. I just rolled off their board after serving there many years, and Mark rolled onto their board. Uh, They always have to have a member of fellowship Uh, That's a part of their bylaws. They have to have one of our staff on their board. And so I can tell you, they do a fantastic job of stewarding the funds that are given to them. And this is something that we need to get done. The farm, that's already taking place out there. Megan is working hard to get that farm up and running. And we will go from, what, 14 to 16,000 pounds of food every year to hundreds of thousands of pounds of food that will be grown every year. Some of it will be sold, but much of it will be used in the cafe and will also be used, uh, given just to those in need in our area. So this is something we need to do. We need to get it done. And we, we've already proven in so many ways, if all of us work together, we can make it happen. And this has been a part of us since our very beginning. You should have gotten one of these. Do you have one? As you walked in the room, if you didn't get one, pick up one and get an extra one so you can give it to somebody else and you tell them, we got to get this done. We got to get this done. So Samaritan Community Center visit samcc.org, build now to give to that or to set up a recurring gift. And they will be out in the foyer this morning to answer any questions that you might have about what's going on or if you just want to volunteer. So I get really excited about it. I could do a whole sermon on this because this is our opportunity to make a difference where it really, really counts.
4: Yeah, I do too. And even the, 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 this is the public part of the campaign. What nobody sees is all the work that's gone behind the scenes. We're halfway there. I mean, the private part of just meeting with individuals, sharing the vision to individuals and foundations, half of it's already been raised. And so now it's time to go to the rest of the body of Christ and say, let's finish it. Let's finish it. And that's what we get a chance to do. So Debbie, thank you. Thank you to Sammy. Thank you. We think he's a good thing. So, hey, let me pray for us. We're gonna pray for God's favor on Samaritan Community Center. And then also how God might want to use us. Some of us will be getting dirt under our fingernails in that farm over the years to come. Some of us will continue to see giving happen. And some of us will see ourselves packing snack packs for kids or serving in other ways as encouragement partners. But we're happy to be behind it. So Lord Jesus, we are asking you now to bless the work that you've started. Thank you for establishing Samaritan Community Center through your people. You do your work through your people. And we want to join you. So right now we ask, would you launch this next season of the public campaign through us? Would you choose to use the way you've provided for us to provide for the needs of this building project? So Holy Spirit, you speak to us and tell us how you want us to be involved and we will respond. We're grateful for the way you love us. It's a strong and tender love. Keep our eyes open to your has said, your loving kindness, and our lives molded by your touch. We love you, and all your people say, amen. Fellowship, we love you. Have a great week, and Samaritan and Debbie will be out in the booth, but the hills are also in our prayer room, and we would love to pray with you. Have a great week.